You're listening to another episode from the Cloud Evangelist podcast channel. My name is Richard Morrell. We're sitting at the CloudStack Collaboration Conference in Amsterdam in Holland. Joining me on the microphone from Schubert Fields is Fons Kessen. Hi, good meeting you. Right, so I'm told reliably that you are the technical brains behind the cloud team. Would you agree with that? I'm one of the two. One of the two. Okay, double act. Okay. So what are you involved in currently with, with customers? So at the moment, we're trying to onboard our customers into our cloud infrastructure. So we're trying to train the teams how to use cloud and how to leverage the resourcing there in an efficient way so they can actually um, have a... Um, um, easier way of onboarding their customers and themselves into our platform. So that's what I'm working on right now. Okay. So at what level do you get involved? Is it very much at the DevOps level? or? Um, so we don't really coach the teams in that respect. We just try to guide them on architecture plane and from an application point of view. Ah, oh, you're a cat herder. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, great. Well, I mean, I, I find as well, I mean, we read how we have a lot of um, architects and system engineers and system architects all who, who, who have specific roles and responsibilities with our professional services team. And I think a lot of those guys, their job is to nurse the ambition of the customer. The customer may have a, a load of Ruby and Python and Perl stuff that they want to think about moving to cloud. And often it's trying to advise the customer what they're capable of moving to cloud, what should be moved to cloud, what should stay within the confines of the data center behind the network perimeter, and what could potentially move to a public cloud provider such as Amazon or Verizon, et cetera, et cetera. Do you find often that you know, you're, you're, you're trying to assist customers with, with, with what they're trying to achieve in cloud? Well, we st I think we're still at the level that we, we deal with a lot of enterprises in highly regulated markets. So right. for them, it's quite difficult to actually um, have an idea on what they can move in and move out. In that respect, we're still struggling with the ideas ourselves a bit. So we're st our own cloud is our proofing ground to see what we can move and how we can move it and where we can move it. So compliance is still a, a very big issue. Oh, yes, it definitely is. Yes. I think the European space, you know, a, a lot of people listening to this, probably 60 or 70% of the people listening to this will be the North American audience who have their own issues around Sarbanes-Oxley, around the Patriot Act, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think as well, you know, revelations in this post-Edward Snowden era mean that a lot of European customers are now more savvy. They're, they're more aware than ever around the whole data privacy, data regulations, uh, understanding all the stuff that's come out of Nelly Cruz's EU directives. And I think Europe really has a part to play in being part of the food chain of cloud, doesn't it? Shaping how it goes forward. I think that's definitely true. But I do see another problem there as well. And I think the other problem is that a lot of developers are not aware of how they can actually play with their data and their metadata and play yeah, around yeah. with it and safely put it in a cloud without having any problems with regula regulations there. Mm -hmm. So there's another, another kind of thing we need to learn people on how to treat their data and how to deal with their data so they can still put it safely in the American cloud, partially in the European and cloud. And it won't matter. Yeah. I read a paper uh, about three or four weeks ago, and it was an academic paper, it wasn't a commercial paper, it was by a, it was a joint working group between uh, a university in Calcutta in India and a guy at a university in Plymouth in the UK, and it was just purely concentrating on key signing. It was purely saying, and this was long pre-Snowden, I mean, academic paper takes six months to a year to get out, so this wasn't even on the radar, but it was purely saying, you know, from an encryption perspective, if you're thinking about your public and private key pair signing and you're understanding your architecture in cloud, wouldn't it make more sense to have retention of your keys on site rather than trust them to a service provider who potentially under warrant or potentially with relationships with a third party could give that information away? If it's encrypted in the cloud, it really doesn't matter. That's definitely true.
Now, the customers that you're working with in specific verticals, what sort of verticals are they? So they're direct banking, so right. it's online direct banking. Um, we're looking at energy trading, um, that kind of customers. That's kind of the profile we fit. And there's um, a newer type of customer we're dealing with is um, high-profile um, um, services. You're so brave. <laughs> well, not high profile for people outside, but high profile for the industry. And it's kind of one of our newer customers is actually the um, the Dutch, um, what do you call them again? Dutch Harbor. Right. And they, um, so the, the guys that bring the ships into the harbors. Sure. So they're like really. Harbor masters. Harbor yeah, masters, yeah. 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 And they're a really interesting group of people because if they're not able to do their job, that impacts humongously. Of course it does. It has a knock-on effect throughout yes. the whole food chain of boats and bits coming in. Yeah. And I think, you know, as companies grow and they start to evolve, I, I've done a lot of work. I used to work with one of the, the major Dutch service organizations, Logica CMG, the CMG group, okay? And I think what we're finding now that there are more organizations who are either doing work themselves rather than going out to these major service providers or who are going to smaller system integrators who have uh, a bigger part of uh, knowledge that they can impart to those customers. And I think also with a lot of these larger consultancy companies, often when they left site, the knowledge left as well. There was no transfer. And I think part of our job is to be enablers or educators to enable people when we leave site or we leave a customer that there's that ongoing relationship but they're able to stand up for themselves as well. I, I totally agree with that perspective. We're seeing definitely seeing a trend there with, with companies that they're being very selective about what they want to put where. You know, the one-stop shop doesn't cut it anymore because no, they're doesn't. not specialized enough and that's really what we're seeing in this, in, in, this, in this landscape, what's happening there. You know, you see a lot of companies, they outsource it to one big player and then they find out, you know, this one big player is not really good at doing anything specific. Yeah. Or, or is just rebadging a, someone else's solution. That happens a lot too, yes. And I think, um, you know, the, the whole open source industry over the last 10, 12 years, if we can call it an industry, because really it's only the last seven or eight where it's actually become more commercial. You know, we've been a proving ground for companies now to be able to realize that they can go to universities Rotterdam, Amsterdam, wherever you tracked in, be able to pick up undergraduates who have these really core competencies and skills and grow them as part of their food chain internally within their companies. And I think organizations such as yourself, you know, you, you've understood how specific cloud application software and cloud platform software can enable you to go from zero to hero very quickly. And I, I think that's a massive value add. I totally agree with that. It, it, it is changing the landscape as well. Yeah. It is forming the landscape of the outsourcing industry as well. And, and there are a lot of companies that call it hype or call it this or call it that, but in secret they're working on these things themselves and they're just not able to get it off the ground often. So tell me, I mean, I'm, I'm involved in cloud on a daily basis. Um, are there specific things that excite you about working cloud and virtualization? Well, it actually brings me back to where I come from. I have an ISP background. Right. An ISP so it's managed hosting, yeah. Well, it's, it's a bit further and it's about scale and scale is exciting. Yeah. Managing a couple of services is not interesting, but managing a big landscape over multiple availability zones, that's where it gets interesting Yeah. and, and stretching that landscape. I, I think also there's the opportunity with the ISPs. You, you think about how many times you, you were asked to stand up virtual Apache environments. We haven't moved on that much. You still need to have three nines. You still have KPIs from customers who expect that uptime. So you still have that service level responsibility. And that's not a bad, bad thing to understand, is it? Oh, no, definitely not. We actually guarantee 100% functional uptime. How do you do that? <laughs> no, putting no small print in. Okay. Just guaranteeing 100%. It's very simple. It's a very short SLA, actually. And I, th I think, you know, you, so you come back from an ISP background. You think how many ISPs were able to form purely because of open source? 
because they didn't have to go and buy copies of Windows NT and IIS. They had the ability to deploy as many Apache boxes as they want without specifically having to pay a license fee per socket. And it's the same, we're having exactly the same discussion how we do this in the, uh, in the cloud industry. But I think th things are slightly different in the respect that there's more to go wrong in cloud. If you think about a Windows customer who wants to start moving uh, applications or databases into the cloud, how they handle their Active Directory, their authentication, all those bits and pieces, and the same for customers who are moving from a traditional Unix, AIX, Solaris background, they have to go through this painful migration. And it's great that there are resellers and partners out there just like you who are able to at least hold their hands and give them a fighting chance. Mm, yeah. Well, you're in exactly right. It's a different scenario, a different scene if you compare it to the old ISP scene where, where yeah. you had everything in control yourself. And now you don't have everything in control. You're part of this layered landscape, which is partially back box. And depending if you're doing on-site or not, if you're doing on-site, you know the stack. And then still, if you look at the skills required to uh, figure out what went wrong and how something is going wrong, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, you need a definitive interesting skill set for that. So... Um, I'm not saying it's easy, it's actually no. a more complex landscape, but it enables people to be more flexible and more agile in what they're doing. But it's not if, simple. If, <laughs> if I ask you, I wouldn't say it's a difficult question, but it's there's a lot riding on, on the answer, so think about it before you answer. Um, <laughs> okay, so we talk about cloud audit. Now, traditionally, audit in most companies is a once-a-year activity when someone w marches in with a copy of Nmap or Nagios or whatever and they give you a piece of paper that says the old version of Apache or SSL or DHCPD is the wrong version and you've got cert advisory against it. In cloud, do you think audit changes it becomes 24-7, 365? Because you're, you're having to start thinking about your migration pattern to cloud but also how you're able to cope with things like version control and change control and change management in cloud. Oh yes, definitely. I think without version control, version management, continually converging architecture and continuous um, auditing of that architecture, you're not doing cloud. Yeah. That's uh, what I think. And I think also with service providers now, when a, a customer engages with them, the customer shouldn't be scared to be able to at least have that conversation day one before they've even signed the contract about how is that, you know, whose responsibility, where, where does the gap lie? Yeah. Definitely, definitely. You know, we're in highly, highly regulated markets, so yeah. we're, we're, we're kind of used to dealing with auditors. Yeah. So for us, it's not a new thing. For us, it's a very normal, everyday part of our lives yeah. that we need to have responsibility for everything in the entire chain and actually be able to tell anybody at any time what it is, what we're running, and what the risks are, where and when and how. I mean, that's great. That, that puts you into a class of, of very few companies in Europe who are capable of doing that for your size. So I take my hat off to you. Fons, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thanks for making time. Do appreciate it. Thanks for having me.